Good morning, church. I want to thank uh, Pastor Daniel for giving me this opportunity uh, to be up here and teach this morning, um, share the word with you in, in, from Colossians, and at the same time, I very much look forward to next Sunday where I can sit out there again and receive the word from Pastor Daniel. Now, if you're familiar with real police work at all, and by real police work, I mean, you know, what TV shows and movies tell you about detective work. You're probably familiar with a good cop, bad cop. So it's a way to get a criminal to share some information, maybe get a confession out of him. So you've got a good cop who is, or sorry, you've got a bad cop who is treating him harshly, talking to him angrily, uh, treating him really poorly. And then on the other side, your partner, the good cop, comes in, asks him if he wants a glass of water, maybe a cup of coffee, really kindly. And how it works is that the criminal sort of feels like this good cop is a friend, like a person who can be trusted. And let me tell you, it works like a charm every single time. I mean, at least in Hollywood it does. I have no idea in the real world. But the juxtaposition of evil against good makes the good seem that much sweeter. Last Sunday, in verses 5 through 11, we heard from Pastor Ryan, I guess he was the bad cop, if you follow the metaphor, but uh, nothing against Pastor Ryan. He was the bad cop in this case, about the evil behaviors that as Christians, as new creations in the Lord, we are called to put to death. And today, in verses 12 through 17, we hear in Paul's letter to the Colossians about the good, God-glorifying, Christ-like behaviors that we are called to put on. And they sound even better. They sound more enticing after hearing about the evil that we're called to cast off. Paul calls believers to a lot in this text. But three points summarize well what he's calling the body of Christ to do. First, in verses 12 through 14, is put on love. Second, let peace rule. And third, let the word dwell. So we'll put on... We, we will hear about putting on love, letting peace rule, and letting the word dwell. So first point this morning, put on love in verses 12 through 14. So the last two weeks, uh, we've been hearing in Colossians 3, uh, we heard verses 1 through 4, and then 5 through 11, about the resurrection life. And today we're on to, you guessed it, resurrection life part 3, the trilogy. Paul is reminding the Colossians that they're new creations. They, just like each one of us, were dead. Our bodies were buried, and now we are new creations. We've been raised to new life in Christ. But look, we're still wearing these dirty, filthy rags. We still sin. Last week we heard about them. Sexual immorality, covetousness, anger, slander, lying, etc., etc., Sins of a sexual nature, sins of hate or hostility toward one another. While we've been truly raised to new life, truly raised to new life, we still have these filthy rags for clothes, filthy habits, evil behaviors that we need to turn in for new ones. And Paul told them what to do with it, what to do with that sin. He said, put it to death. Get rid of those clothes so you're never tempted to wear them again. What then should we put on? And that's where he picks up in, verses, in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we'll get to that list of behaviors, those, starting with those first five virtues, but we need to pause, and Paul does it too. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before he gets to this list of behaviors we need to put on, he reminds us again, it is not by works that you are saved. It is by faith alone. It's by the grace of God alone that you're saved. He knows the temptation that the Colossians are feeling that we all feel. That if we're good enough, if we behave rightly, God will love us. And that is just not true. We are chosen by God. We are holy and beloved because God said so. Paul is reminding the Colossians that there's no work that they have done, no work they can do in the future that can earn them God's love, that can earn them holiness. They're chosen by God holy and beloved already. And where does Paul get that from? He gets that from Deuteronomy 7, uh, in verses, starting verse 6. It says, For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. And in 1 John, uh, we see that as well. In, in verse 10, in this is love. Verse 10 of chapter 4, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And continuing in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So we're holy because God loves us. And he chose us. He said, just receive Jesus, my son, and be holy. He was the first one to say, I love you. And we can put on these new clothes because he made us a new creation. We have to start there. Any temptation to put on the new behavior without newness of life needs to be quashed. Put on the good behaviors because you are a new Christian, because you are a new creation, sorry. And those filthy rags are disgusting. After you take a shower, when you're all fresh and clean, you don't go in and find the dirtiest, muddiest clothes you can and put those on. How much more so a new believer going back to his sinful ways? It completely defeats the purpose of what Jesus did for you. So put on new clothes, robes of righteousness. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We must present our bodies to God with beautiful garments of salvation, not filthy rags. And Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We put on righteous behaviors because we're already covered with the robe of righteousness. We seek holiness because we have been made holy through Christ already. 
Now, let's get into these righteous behaviors that Paul lists. Uh, I've got a brief definition for each of these first five, and then an example from Christ's life or something that Christ shared, uh, because all of these are demonstrated well by Christ. He is the fulfillment of them. First of all is compassion, or heartfelt mercy toward others. So compassion is heartfelt mercy toward others. In Matthew 9, 36, we hear about Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for them. Kindness is a thoughtful and considerate disposition. In Luke 6.35, Jesus teaches, But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Kindness, being thoughtful and considerate to everyone. Humility and meekness or gentleness, I'll cover um, together with the same verse together. Humility, an honest assessment of ourselves and selfless perspective. And meekness, or it's often translated gentleness, peaceful and unassuming attitude. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, or humble. And you will find rest for your souls. There's a, a book by Dane Ortland that we handed out a few months ago, and we still have copies of if you want. It's called Gentle and Lowly, and it's based on this verse. Jesus says he is gentle and lowly. And finally, patience. Patience is a measured response toward others. I'm going to come back to patience after uh, we hear a, a parable from Jesus in a minute. Now, Paul transitions from these first five in verse, um, in verse 12, and he gets more overtly relational. Now, all of these virtues are um, to be done in relationship with one another. You cannot put on gentleness in isolation or kindness in isolation. They are all relational virtues. And verse 13 um, drives the point home even more. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In thinking about how to um, teach this, I found a marvelous parable um, from Jesus in, in Matthew about uh, the importance of humility and forgiveness and bearing with one another. It's a little long, but it's worth it. Let me just read it for you. It's in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold his, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or much less money. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the servant had a debt forgiven by his master that was more than a million times larger than his fellow servants. And yet he wouldn't pay it forward. He wouldn't forgive his fellow servant a few dollars after he'd been forgiven more than a million dollars. It's incredible. And yet, don't we do this often? Christ has forgiven us a multitude of sins. Will we not forgive our brother or sister when we are wronged? Will we not be patient with one another? As I said, I'd come back to the virtue of patience, the fifth one listed in verse 12. Um, And we see it here in this parable, along with forgiveness and bearing with one another. Patience is being measured in your response toward others. So both of the servants ask for patience. They ask for leniency. Let us be patient with one another as Christ is patient with us. Now, just as the list of sins in verses 5 through 10 was not exhaustive, this is certainly not an exhaustive list. Um, But it does give you an idea of the type of person that we're called to be, to be like Christ. Model his behavior because he is the fulfillment of all of these. He is the fulfillment of everything good. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Be the new creation that you are in Christ. It's a word to you today. Be the new creation that you are in Christ. And that's Paul's message to the Colossians. They, like us, were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, as it says in in verse 21 of Colossians 1. But now, in the next verse, it says, But now we are holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Be the new creation that you are in Christ. Well, it gets better. Paul continues building out our wardrobe, as it were, in verse 14. He says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds everything together. So thinking about this metaphor of putting on clothing, what does love look like? Is it the belt that keep your, keeps your pants up or suspenders? Is it like an overcoat that like, all right, I've got most of my clothes on now. I'm putting this coat on that, that keeps me warm, protects me. I think it's more like the thread in all of your clothes that's woven into the fabric of every piece of clothing. Because love is foundational. Without love, you have no clothes. That's what it means, above all. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about love a lot. And in the first two verses, he says, um, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Some studies of successful companies find that company culture and purpose are foundational for long-term success. At its innermost, the company must stand for something or it will fail, and many studies have shown that. Um, at our innermost, we must stand for Christ or we will fail. We must be holy as he is holy, and we must have love in everything or we have nothing. Love is the basis for all of these other behaviors. And in, we're very familiar with the Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit, which leads with love. And then it's followed by all of the other behaviors as well. Uh, I found many other places in Scripture to support this position that love is not just another item in the list, but that it's the basis for the other behaviors. Um, there are four texts we'll go through. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter on love. In verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And in verse 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And finally, 1 John 4, 15 to 16, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So if we do not have love, we do not have anything. If we have love for God and one another, we have it all. When Jesus was asked which is the greatest commandment in the law, he answered, and the page back. He answered in Matthew 22, uh, You shall love the Lord your God and with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets depend on those two commandments. They depend on love. We cannot spend enough time meditating on what the Bible says about love, reading about what the Bible says about love, not what the world says about love and the, its feelings and fluctuations, but what the Word of God says about love. So we know love is important. Um, I, I hope you've been convinced of that through uh, these texts, but we are called to put on love. So how do we put on love? As we saw in 1 John 4, we abide in God. And in John 15, in, we hear more about this. Jesus tells us he is the vine and we are the branches. There is clearly no vine, or sorry, no branch unless there is a vine. That's what it means to abide in God. Without God, you are nothing. Just like without love, we are doing nothing. Without God, you would be dead, dead wood to be burned in an unquenchable fire. Abiding in God means your identity is in him alone. And you will do what he says. It says obey his commandments. In verses 9 through 10 of 
John 15, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we're called to keep his commandments. We're called to put on these virtues and keep his commandments in that way. And when you abide in Christ, he will produce fruit in you. Fruit of the Spirit, like we're familiar with in Galatians 5, and like we read here in verses 12 through 14. So wrapping up this first point, put on love. When we dress ourselves physically, we start with undergarments, and then outer garments and overgarments. And it's the same when we, when we dress ourselves spiritually. We must start with the internal matters. Abide in the Lord. You cannot truly put on patience or meekness or kindness or anything else that is good without first resting in the Lord. And resting in the Lord is where Paul goes to next. So the second point, let peace rule. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, you may have noticed that Paul made a transition from put to let here in verse 15. So in verse 5, last week, we saw put to death the earthly sins. In verse 12, he starts telling us what to put on, which concludes with putting on love, the ultimate godly characteristic. Put is an active word. Now, let is more passive. It doesn't mean that there's no call to action. There is. Let me give you a, a metaphor. Um, and since I work in a food world, just food metaphors come to me more frequently. Um, so let's say you want to cook some pasta, right? First instruction, put, I, I hope most of you can can cook pasta without the instructions at this point, but let's say you look at the instructions. All right, put four quarts of water into a large pot. So you're actively putting the water in there. And then add or, or put in one box of pasta, okay? Then next it might say, let it simmer on low for 11 to 12 minutes. If, that, if this sounds uh, very close to like Kraft mac and cheese, you might be right. Um, so you might be very familiar with these. Um, but the word let here, it does not mean that you're not acting. You are. You're decisively acting in each one of those three instructions. However, the word let is more passive because it's not the primary action. What's actually happening in that instruction is that the boiling water is cooking the pasta, but you are letting that happen. You are making that happen while you're not actively doing anything. To let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts means to put our minds at rest because Christ has reconciled us to himself. To rest in the peace that Christ provides. The Colossians clearly struggled with resting in Christ's peace. Um, there were some who were searching for something to add to their faith in Christ. Paul encourages them that there is nothing to add. In chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, he says, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Christ, we have reconciliation with God. That massive, insurmountable debt 
has been paid. And through Christ, we are to have reconciliation with one another. Now, this word rule in verse 15 means like an arbitrator or an umpire. It means when there is an issue among us, let the deciding word be peace. We read about uh, this in Ephesians 2. It says, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hostility is dead. Christ killed that on the cross. So now let the peace of Christ rule among us, the church. When issues arise between brothers and sisters, let peace rule. Now, that does not mean that we ignore our problems, all right? It's one thing to overlook a sin, but we do not ignore our problems. What it means is that we address them knowing uh, that Christ has conquered sin and death. We address them in a spirit of peace, knowing that Christ has reconciled us to himself through the cross. So don't let a problem come between you, brother and sister, that keeps you from enjoying that reconciliation with Christ and the reconciliation that we have with one another, ultimately. Let peace rule. Remember what the word says in Romans 5a, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Remember the word and let it minister to you in peace. That brings us to our third point about the word. Let the word dwell. So let, the peace, let peace rule, and there's the word let again, let the word dwell. Let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, word of Christ is an interesting phrase, right? We know that John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, is Paul saying, when he says word of Christ, is he saying word of word or Christ of Christ? No, I don't think he is. Uh, word, word of Christ is used one other time in the SV in Romans 10. Uh, this is what verses 14 through 17 say. How then will, we call, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So here Paul is saying that people will believe when they hear the gospel. People will believe when they hear the word of Christ. In Colossians 1.5, Paul says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. Similar phrasing, the gospel. So the word of Christ is the good news. 
The word of Christ is the gospel. Therefore, we're called, just like the Colossians were in verse um, 15, to let, let the gospel dwell in us. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, let the gospel, let the good news of Christ dwell in you. And let it dwell in you richly. So, now, I feel like I'm going word by word, phrase by phrase, but we're going to piece it all together. All right, dwell. What does it mean to let the word dwell in us? It means to let the word live in us, right? Um, A dwelling is a place you live. Now, it could mean active meditation, like uh, Joshua 1.8 or Psalm uh, 1-2, which says that a believer's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Uh, so that's, that's what it potentially could mean. Now, meditating on the word is crucial and super important, and we heard about that in verse 2 of Colossians 3, where we are called to actively set our minds on Christ. But here it's saying, let the word dwell. Um, and letting peace rule, let the word dwell. So I think the key is in when it says in the previous verse, in one body. The word of Christ is to dwell among the body of Christ. The gospel is to be shared with one another, taught to one another, preached to one another, sung to one another. Just like it's being preached to you, just like we've been singing it to one another. Remember, Paul is writing to the Colossians who were struggling with anti-gospel philosophy and human traditions that were confusing to the new believers and leading them astray. Contrary to the evil, hateful speech that had been an issue at the church at Colossae, Paul is saying, let the gospel dwell among you. Don't let these uh, human traditions, don't, let you be, don't be deceived by empty philosophy. Let the gospel dwell among you. Proclaim it to one another. Sing songs to one another. Read the psalms to each other. This entire passage today in Colossians 3 is about us as a body, living as one body. You cannot put on love without loving the people in the local church, without loving the people in this church. You cannot let the peace of Christ rule in your heart if you do not have peace with your brothers and sisters who are your fellow heirs. And you cannot let the peace of Christ rule in you if another part of the body is suffering and you do nothing about it. You cannot let the word dwell among us without actively sharing it with one another. So while the word let is passive, we are actively letting the word dwell. This is a call for each one of us. This is not a call for uh, Danny in leading worship and Pastor Daniel in preaching alone. This is a call for every believer. Everyone who believes in Jesus is capable of sharing the gospel. Every believer can teach it to one another. Make it a point to know the word and share it with your fellow brothers and sisters, kids and elders. If you are a chosen one of God, you have the word of Christ in your heart. Share it and sing it. Tell the story of how the word of God came to dwell in your heart. Now I want to cover one more thing remember the difference between put and let all right there's more passivity with the word let right but we're now i'm talking about actively sharing the word of god which seems like a disconnect we are actively sharing the word of god the holy spirit is the one actively doing the work we are letting the word dwell while the holy spirit is working in each one of our hearts and is working in this body the holy spirit 
ministers to us and changes hearts and gives us the passion for Jesus. Our trust is in God, and as part of that, we share his word with one another. We should each also be striving to know the gospel better. This year, we heard in, during the announcements, Pastor Ryan say, uh, talk about Bible reading plans. Pick one of those up on the way out. Be resolved to know the word better. Be resolved to know the gospel better so that you are even more capable to share it with your brothers and sisters. Finally, let me close with this theme of thanksgiving. It comes up regularly in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And you can see in the last three verses of our, of our passage today, in verse 15, be thank, and be thankful. In verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we let the peace of Christ rule in us, as we let the word of Christ dwell in us, we will be abounding in thankfulness. Thankfulness will be the posture of our lives. As love is the thread that holds together our attitude toward one another, thankfulness is the thread that holds together our words and actions toward one another. That's what verse 17, the last verse, is all about. Be thankful for what Christ has done for you and in you. You have been given new life in Christ. Do everything in his name for his glory with a thankful heart. So church, put on love that binds everything together. Let the peace of Christ rule in us and let the gospel be shared among us. Let me leave you with verse 17, which sums it up. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray.